Hi, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 63rd podcast, A Common Sense and Ramblings in America. Today I'm going to be reading from chapters 9 and 10 of my second book. Today, um, chapter 9 is going to be about my brother Robert. Um, so I will start reading from that chapter. Robert Edward Landry was born on May the 17th, 1952, in Rochester, New York. He was the second son and third child of Roger and Rita Landry. He was also the smallest of the Landry babies thus far just weighing in at 7.5 pounds. He came a couple weeks early, so he was always being teased as the runt of the family. Both Ronald and Virginia were over 9 pounds, and I topped the scale at over 9.5 pounds 11 years later. <clears throat> Robert was raised with love, as were his two earlier siblings. However, he was a little different than his old brother and sister, in that he was an indifferent student. While he did graduate from high school, it was with a great deal of pressure from his parents. While Ronald and Regina went into book, were into book learning and studying and taking after their mother, Robert turned after his father, and then he preferred shop and carpentry classes. He also tended to collect odd animals like squirrels and rabbits and stuff like that. Cats and dogs were just not his forte. He was also into wrestling and weightlifting and other physical activities, though he was not into team sports like baseball and football. I believe they were just too restrictive for him. He was more of an individualist and free spirit. Well, when he started dating Doreen Blind, his future wife, he would take me along on those dates that involved going to the movies. I guess Mom thought that he would behave if I tagged along. I had to be the world's youngest chaperone. He did get in trouble a few times because he took me to some really scary movies, one in particular that involved rats that scared the living hell out of me. I believe that it scared, scarred me for life because ever since I have been terrified by the hideous beasts. I also think that Robert was jealous of my Winnie the Pooh. He used to throw him down our laundry chute, and I know that he was part of the reason that our mother threw him away one day when I was at school. If you read my first book, you'd know that I eventually got my revenge. Robert was also the first one to move out before he got married. Though his bachelorhood did not last long, the siren by the name of Doreen Blind soon captured his heart. They were married in 1971 to 1972. Their first child was a girl named Christy, and she was born in 73, and she was soon found by her sister named Katie, who was born in 1974. Their third daughter, Kelly, followed a few years later and was born in 79. Bobby, their fourth child and only son, was born in 1980. <clears throat> Robert had a hard time conforming to a structured and regimental work environment and subsequently changed jobs frequently. He was seldom without work and always found some ways to provide for his family. They always had food on the table. Sometimes the origin was a little suspect, or it was always edible and nourishing. He also made sure that there was a roof over their heads, though it may not have been that fashionable. It was safe and secure. His first real job was working for Kodak in Rochester, New York, and was also one of those longest-lasting jobs. His father-in-law put a word in for him, and he was able to get a good job working there. After that, he tried a myriad of jobs. The only other one that he lasted in for a while was a laundry service job when he picked up, where he picked up soiled linens and uniforms at businesses and returned them clean the next day. It was a hard job, but it paid good and allowed him to fix up the farm and house that he had bought. He always had some idea floating around his head for a business, but he just didn't seem to stick it out long enough to make it a go of it. As soon as it became profitable, he would sell it and move on. I lost count of how many houses and places he fixed up and sold. It seemed that just when Doreen got the place nice and cozy, he would up and sell it for another fixer-upper. 
Nowadays, people do that for a living. However, they don't live in the house while it is being fixed up like Robert did. I guess after 30 years or so of it, she finally had had enough and moved out on her own. I frankly don't blame her. She had really put up with a lot. One thing I'm sure of, she never got bored living with him. I was always, it was always something different. He was always looking, it was, sorry, he was always good for an odd adventure, as I'm sure you found out from my first book. I'll include a few more stories later on in this book. After my mother and stepfather moved to Florida, he followed us a few years later with a friend of his. Of course, they were looking for their pot of gold. Once they had jobs, their families followed them down. After living in Florida for close to 10 years, he got involved in a born-again Christian group. I think it was at the behest of his wife. My brother was just not that religious. He had completed all, completed, completed, sorry, all of his catechism stuff with the Catholic Church like the rest of us did. I think my oldest brother Ronald was the only one that consistently go to Mass, though. Their pastor got this idea that he would develop this religious community in North Georgia, northern Georgia. So somehow he bought hundreds of acres and sold it to all of his parishioners. Of course, the property was cheap, and that's how he hooked everybody into buying into his plan. So my brother moved up there with the rest of the flock. It took Robert a while, but he did get the place looking really nice. It was probably the best place he had ever had. I am sure that it broke Doreen's heart when they had moved. What happened is that he refinanced the house several times to bankroll his business adventures. Unfortunately, the mortgage got so big that he was unable to make the payments and was forced to sell it. Of course, all he could afford was another fix-it-up special. So the cycle began all over again. It was during their initial move to Georgia that they got the bright idea to homeschool. It probably wasn't a bad idea because they were quite isolated, and I'm sure the schools were not that great. Doreen, by default, became the teacher. I gave her, have to give her credit. She kept up pretty good until it came down to the high school classes. He just could not keep up with the lessons. So they eventually went back to school so they would not fall too far behind. By this time, Robert had completely given up working for other people and was making a living strictly from his saw blade business and his buying and selling junk. I swear my brother could sell ice cream to an Eskimo. And he convinced a blind man, sorry, convincing man with a leg amputation to sell his fake light to him. He was amazing. Watching him sling his line of bowls like watching Michelangelo chisel a David statue. It was a work of art. He bought and sold so many cars, the county almost made him get a dealer's license. He was forced to sell his house and move one more time, and that was into a storefront. I think that is the straw that broke Doreen's back. I saw the place, and I was not too impressed. I could see why she wanted nothing to do with it. I am not sure where he got the wandering bug from. Nobody in our family did that kind of stuff. If he lived in the Old West, I think my brother would have been what is called a drifter who went from one cow town to another. Throughout the last 10 years of his life, his health had suffered. He developed type 2 diabetes in his 40s. He was always overweight and ate poorly. Watching him dose himself with 50 to 60 units of regular insulin at a time made me cringe. He eventually developed all the side effects from the diabetes, like neuropathies, ulcers on his feet, diabetic retinopathy, and due to our wonderful family genes, he had cholesterol problems as well. The only thing that saved him was that he did not drink or smoke. He lived to the age of 63, though he was virtually wheelchair-bound the last few years, and he could not be without his oxygen for very long. His wife, Doreen, is still growing strong, and she enjoys spending time with her family and preaching at the local prison. All four of their children have had bumpy roads, but they all seem to have been to be flourishing now. 
Christy, the oldest, has her own store, community outreach thrift store, that is doing well. Katie is a housewife and lives in a nice three-story house. Kelly has seven children within a couple of adopted children and seems to be very happy as well. Bobby, Robert's namesake, is still in the military and has a beautiful wife and family. I missed out on a lot of their lives by moving to Las Vegas, but I can at least take solace in the fact that they all seem to be doing well. Frankly, I had my doubts what their childhood was like. I know Robert thought he was doing the best he could, but when you decide to bring people to this world, you have to put them first and do what is right for your family. I don't think Robert ever did that. He always seemed to come first. I know that I'm not perfect, and I'll be the first to admit that I am selfish, which is why I never had children. I believe it's just too short, and I want to be able to enjoy it. I said that it would be honest when I wrote my memoirs, and that is what I'm doing. Honesty is always the best policy. Well, that concludes my reading about my brother in Chapter 9. In just a few moments, I will be reading my Chapter in 10. Hi, this is Randy again. I was born on September 23, 1963, the last child of the Landry Brood. In my first book, I spent several chapters recounting the escapades that made up my life. In the second book, which was an endeavor to make it not only functional as a companion book, but one that can stand alone on its own merits. I will abbreviate the story of my life so it fits in the format that I use with my siblings. To do this, I have two choices. I can just copy and paste from the chapters that I have already written, or I can just start from scratch. Well, since I want the reader to get their money's worth, I will do the latter. In the second part of this book, I will cover more of my nursing career, my fight against PTSD, more anecdotal stories, and I will bring my life up to date with my future plans as well. This chapter will bring the reader up to the point where I ended my story in my previous book. I hope this makes sense to the reader. I apologize in advance if it doesn't. In my defense, the primary goal of this book is to serve as a companion to my previous book. This decision to write it in this way brings up upon itself many difficult organizational issues along with a, what material to include in the second book. So please bear with me as I continue with my narrative. I was born in Rochester Hospital, like the last two of my siblings. My first few years went uneventfully with me being the center of attraction in the family. Sorry, Robert, you had your chance. You could have put a pillow over my head. Just kidding. We were a close-knit family, with me being the closest to my sister. She doted on me as it was my right. I also was the apple of my father's eye. When I was old enough to do so, I followed him wherever he went especially when it meant that he was going down to the wonderful world he called his workshop. My father could make wood come alive into all kinds of cool things. He built me a randy-sized workbench so I could pound and cut away pieces of scrap lumber while he made his masterpieces. My father was not only a master carpenter, he was a master finished carpenter, which meant he could build furniture and cabinets and pretty much anything he set his mind to. Sometimes I feel sad that I was not able to follow in his footsteps. That was to be my first career plan. If he had remained healthy and lived a longer life, there was no doubt that I would have followed on that pathway. Unfortunately, my father passed away on April 15, 1970, while I slept the night away. I was robbed of being able to say goodbye to him. As it turns out, I was not there for my stepfather nor my mother's passing either. Unfortunately, sometimes life just does not work the way it is supposed to. It is some solace that I have been able to be there for countless other individuals and family members in the course of my career. 
I hope this in some way absolves me from missing all of my parents' passings. My father's passing was not the first time I experienced loss and heartbreak in my young life. My first experience is when my sister got married and moved to Alabama to start her new life and family. Even though I knew that this was the order of things, I still felt a sense of loss, though I never burdened my parents on my feelings. I felt it would just be too much my parents to deal with. By the time my sister left for Alabama, my father was very sickly, and even though he made two trips to visit my sister, his daughter, it took its toll on his health. At least I have one consolation, that is knowing that my father died among friends and family, doing what he loved to do, play cards and socialize. For the next year or so, I was raised by a committee, so to speak. Both my brothers and my mother working together did the best they could. In retrospect, I think they were a little hard on me, but things were different back then. Children did not get babied as much. We were expected to be tougher than the children of today. There was no child psychologist to counsel us and help us get through tough times. It was up to the family and members to help us do so. I covered my experiences during this time in depth in my previous book, so I won't bore you with the same detail. My mother was eventually to get help. Though through the efforts of my matchmaking aunt Barbara, she soon met my stepfather to be and future husband in Upper State, New York. He seemed to hit it off right away, and after a respectable courtship, they were married in a simple ceremony with my aunt and uncle as witnesses. They had a party at a local watering hole where live music was played and they danced the night away. In addition to having a dance floor, it had an attached pool hall where I miraculously kept finding quarters lying around on the pool tables. So I kept on playing free games of pool. That is until my father explained to me where the quarters were coming from and why they were put on the pool tables like they were. I had to borrow money from him after that. What a killjoy. I spent a good part of my third grade in mixed martial arts events in an effort to protect myself from bullies. However, I did survive and live. Life continued. My stepfather's ex-wife continued to hassle him for the next year or so, till my parents finally cried uncle and moved out of the state. It broke my mother's heart to have to sell the house my father built. However, it went to a good family. Our new life in Florida was eventful, to say the least. After a couple of lonely years spent working and going to school, our family finally realized that we no longer were living in New York and that they missed us. They also realized that Florida had really nice weather in the winter. So before we knew it, we were inundated with snowbird relatives. It seemed like we had also become official tour guides at Disney World because every one that visited us had to go to two places. One was Disney World and the other was to Clearwater Beach so they could walk on the white sand. It got so redundant that neither place held much allure for us. It was also during this time that I experienced a raging case of acne which lasted over a year and a half right up to the middle of ninth grade. They capped it off with polyester clothes and a gross bird. My adolescent years were really or very enjoyable. The highlight of those years was my discovery of nocturnal emissions and self-help techniques. Need I say more? Until I experienced my gross bird, my mixed MMA skills were repeatedly put to use in self-defense. After I had my gross bird and bulked up a little, my need for self-defense skills lessened somewhat. Just when my life started normalizing, I ended up getting seriously sick twice. Once with the double pneumonia, and the other time with a kidney infection and almost turned septic. I missed a substantial amount of time in my junior and senior years at school. However, I still managed to graduate with honors. I also met my first serious girlfriend, a Korean nurse, who took care of me while I was a patient. 
that lasted for six months, right up until the time she moved back to Korea due to loneliness. After I graduated from high school, I spent the next eight years of my life in a fruitless endeavor at finding my career path via the college route. Eventually, those years of schooling paid off, but it wasn't until I almost reached 40 before it did. It was also during this time that I took up my lifelong hobbies of photography and collecting books. I decided to take a break from school when I hit my eight-year mark and still had no career. During this time, I had started working by necessity at Cash and Carry, a Florida-based grocery chain, to pay for my college tuition. I ended up working there for 17 years right up to the time I started my nursing career. To fill the void, to hopefully meet like-minded women, I took up the sports of triathlons. During the next five years, I participated in numerous events, including one Ironman distance race in Central Florida. After going through several relationships, I finally hooked up with my first truly serious relationship. She is the woman that I gave the name, our nom de guerre, of Psycho Bitch to. I spent the next year of my life on a roller coaster ride from hell. Thankfully, I finally grew a brain and got out of that disastrous relationship. I promptly jumped into another one with an alcoholic midget. Well, she was four foot eight inches tall. I don't know if that counts. Thank God she moved to California because I don't know if I had the strength to break it off. She had developed superhuman Kegel skills. Wink, wink. I continued down the path of dating my coworkers. I soon met my first wife. I will continue to use aliases from exes. Her name was Tammy. After dating for a week, we moved in together, and one month later, we got married by Justice of Peace in St. Augustine, Florida, on May the 27th, 1993. My wife had a small house that was in much need of repair, so I spent the next two years remodeling it. We had it quite cozy. My wife had one major, major issue, and she had an addictive personality. She was a smoker, and for the first two years, she smoked in the house, even in bed. I frankly don't know how I tolerated it. When we had gotten married, I gave her two years to quit smoking. So the day after our second anniversary, I started packing up. I did so without saying a word. I was actually in my car getting ready to drive away when she ran out and begged me to stop. She agreed to not smoke in the house or car or anywhere near me. I unfortunately agreed. All it in actuality did was delay the divorce 12 years and then it cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. However, I might never become a nurse, so who knows which outcome was better. That definitely was a major crossroads in my life. Eventually, after Mother passed away, we moved out west to Las Vegas. Thanks to her father, we were able to buy a nice house. He helped us with a down payment. We made the move out west to save our marriage and to distance us from our smothering families. Again, what it did was just delay the inevitable. The move seemed to bring her temporarily out of her fugue state and the next year of our marriage was full of love and tenderness. However, the relationship soon started deteriorating after her father moved in with us. That is when I discovered not only did she have an addictive personality, but she had low self-esteem issue. She was also self-destructive. She felt like she did not deserve to be successful and happy. She seemed to go out of her way to self-destruct our lives together. It turned out that she had suffered from mental abuse as a child and by her first husband. So the poor thing just never stood a chance. The addiction she went through were her self-defense mechanism. Unfortunately, this realization did not make it any easier to maintain, remain in this relationship. Eventually, she lost her nursing job, and after I nearly suffered from mental breakdown, I asked for a divorce at or around her 12-year mark. It took two years for our divorce to finally go through on September 4, 2007. I basically got raped in the divorce. There was no other word for it. It basically destroyed me financially. I ended up losing our dream house and my retirement 
in addition to having to pay 10 years of crushing alimony payments. One year later, I continued on my path through Nation by marrying yet another coworker whose alias is Julie. We got married in Florida on October 7th, 2008. First of all, you should never marry a rebound person, which is what she was. Second of all, she was a smoker. She did not quit smoking until she married her next husband, which goes to show you that she never truly loved me. Apparently, she liked my lifestyle. I had a good-paying job in a big house. We lived together the whole two years while that divorce took place. In her defense, she did not provide moral support and on several occasions, one being the death of my stepfather. But as the relationship progressed, I felt that we got married for all the wrong reasons, and it came as no surprise to either one of us that it ended a divorce after six and a half years. We got divorced on September 11, 2015. One positive thing that came out of a relationship that I was able to finally go after one of my major dreams, and that was to learn how to scuba dive. We went on many trips together and got to see some very cool things and places. Even though our marriage only lasted six and a half years, the marriage was over long before then. As a matter of fact, it was almost a year earlier when we filed papers for legal separation. We did this because, yes, I know what you're going to say, my second wife was not working. She had quit her job, so I had to stay married to her so she could have insurance. Eventually, she got a good-paying job with insurance. During the last year of our marriage, we both signed up with Match.com and started dating. I dated a girl from Thailand for a while, one from China, and two from the Philippines. None of them smoked, nor were they nurses, and they were not co-workers of mine. I was doing my best to break the street. The second Filipina proved to be the woman of my dreams. We got married in October 1st, 2015, and have been married happily ever since. She still rocks my world, and it makes my heart beat a little faster when she gives me one of her looks. It took a long time, over 50 years as a matter of fact, but I never gave up. Alright, that's the end of chapter 10. I hope you enjoyed it, and that concludes my podcast. Thank you very much, and you have a great day.